You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always will be my good friend Frank Madden. And we were scheduled to give you the second part of our mailbag podcast. But tonight, Brandon Jennings has gone off to such an extent. Not, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that's not what we're going to talk about. Um, we are going to have the second part of our mailbag here. This will be part two of three. You heard part one yesterday. If you didn't, go back and listen to that. Uh, but that'll be part one. Today is part two. And tomorrow will be part three. We'll do part three. And then uh, we'll tack on a a little bit of a preview for Friday's game against the Raptors on to the end of that. So we will keep it rolling here on the mailbag for this week uh, as we attempt to fill the days leading up to the Bucks' first game after the All-Star break. Without further ado, here is Frank. Going to another question. Uh, let me just scroll down here. Um, so Joe Osterndorf, friend of the pod, asks, uh, a while back in the pod, you both mentioned how neither of you thinks Chris or Bledsoe can be a number two guy in a championship team. How many number two guys are there in the league? And what's the most realistic way the Bucks could get one? What are the odds that Jabari becomes one? Um, so this requires us to really like, you know, and I think we kind of we tried to do this a little bit when we had that pod talking about Chris Middleton. And, you know, if, if he's not a guy, do you look at trading him, you know, this season yep. uh, and obviously that that hasn't happened but um how do, i mean how do you think of it Let, let's start with maybe the jabari thing i mean like what is the probability that in three years we look at the box and say jabari is a good enough number two on a championship team like i mean what percentage wise what do you think the odds of that happening 15 mm, percent. yeah i was gonna say pretty low um, just just think- because and i should say i think the chance of him being a number two in general, in a greater league landscape, might be like closer to twenty five percent. But in Milwaukee specifically, I think it's fifteen percent. Just because okay. yeah. with Giannis around, I think it's difficult to get the reps necessary to get that good at it. And I think it's des- it's difficult. And I know Zach Lowe's written about it, and we've talked about it. Like Giannis and Jabari can play together, but I don't know that you're maximizing Jabari if he's playing with Giannis. If that makes any sense, like they can play together, but. I don't know that you're maximizing it. So I would say the chances he becomes a number two are about 15%. um, But if he was able to choose any team in the league, I think it might be closer to 25%. Yeah, I think I might agree with that. Um, It it, it is tough. And and the way I think about it a little bit is I think you started with it. Like how many number ones are there? And And to me, it's how many guys are good enough that they could be the best player on a championship team. And to me, if we're going to look over the next few years, I think the only guys that I really would put in that category would be obviously LeBron, obviously KD, 
Curry, which obviously this is the frustrating part. Curry and KD play on the same team. So they're the only team that has, you know, I would say two number ones. Um, So Curry, KD, LeBron, I think Giannis, maybe, you know, maybe not this year, but I think in in the next couple of years, he'll, he'll ascend to that level. Um, And then beyond that, um, I mean, I want to say Anthony Davis is good enough, but it's like they never get, I mean, like we, we just, he just hasn't had the supporting cast or maybe it's just that maybe he just is more of a numbers guy who just doesn't really get you to that level. Um, yeah. Cause I think both, but I think both Anthony Davis and, and Carl Anthony towns are guys that like seem like they could eventually get you there. But like right now, you know, especially towns with this defense, like, I mean, towns is a number two for the, for the wolves who are, who are good. Right. Yep. But they're not, you know, championship quality contending. So it's hard to say that, you know, towns is on the verge of becoming a number one on a championship team when he's a number two on a non-championship team. Um, so, so it's a really limited, I mean, it's like a half dozen guys. I mean, like Westbrook, I mean, I think at this point, I mean, Westbrook's not getting younger. He's not, he's not one of those guys. Yeah, I would have said Chris um, Paul five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really tough. I mean, Kyrie Irving is not one of those guys. Nope. Like when I listened to like Simmons talk about like Kyrie, like, oh, he's proven he can have his own team. It's like, well, yeah. but, like the Celtics, like, I, I mean, I, I don't think Kyrie is, I don't think Kyrie is that different of a player now. Right. I mean, yeah. from what he was when he was a great number two who is good enough as a number two with LeBron, right? And Jason Tatum ain't LeBron. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's only, there's only like these five or six number ones. And so you're at, you end up with a lot of number two type type guys. Right. And, you know, if you look at, you know, pick your favorite sort of advanced metric for, you know, whatever. Um, I think if you kind of look at that, um, you know, if you have one of those number one guys, then, I don't know. Maybe there are like 15 to 20 guys um, that could be number twos, you know, depending on fit. Um, I think one of the hard parts is, you know, how do you go about acquiring one of those guys? One of the big issues is to, to get to the point where you are one of those capable number twos is you generally have to be old enough to have proven yourself to be good enough right yep. and that's the hard part you know the 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 curse of Giannis being so young is that you know you you have to figure out like well, how old are the players that you're going to want to be willing to roll the dice on right I mean this is one of the things that people argue about Bledsoe Bledsoe just turned 28 this year is, is he too old right yep. um that's that's a challenge Middleton I would say is not too old at 26 um but you know again it's unless you're drafting right unless you can figure out how to get that Nets pick right I mean to mm-hmm. me that's you know, I think if I was saying in the abstract, how do you get that number two? That might be the best way to do it is you cash in some of these guys now to try to get lottery picks. And and again, and that's not going to be a, something that I don't think the front office of the Bucks is really fired up to do because it means that you're probably going to be trading in wins that you could have now. Yep. Um, but if you want to try into a true number two, um, either you cash in those assets, you cash in you know, Middleton or some combination of other guys for, you know, some kind of lottery pick, which is hard too, because most teams with lottery picks want lottery picks. They don't want 27, <laughs> 28 year old guys. Yeah. Um, and then the other issue, which is why obviously the Cavs have been so unique in that they actually are, you know, have a different timeline than most lottery teams. Um, and then, you know, or you, you trade Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe for, I don't know, pick a guy right yep. um and and i don't know I, I mean we talked obviously about trading middleton for for guys early this year um we talked obviously a lot about Kyrie, and i think there were reasonable questions about even Kyrie, right just because yep. you'd have to give up so much to get him um i mean are there any guys that you look at 
and say... There's one. Who's that? His GM just got fired. Or he's going to get fired at the end of the year. He's uh, plays for the team owned by Michael Jordan, who notoriously has not been great in that role. And Kemba Walker. He's 27 this year, so 28 next year. He's probably on the edge um, of being uh, the guy. I think he's proven enough that he can definitely be a two. And just kind of looking through the list, like as you're trying to think, Carl Anthony Towns. So I'm just going to go through just a general idea. Carl Anthony Towns, no. The Wolves would never trade him. Jimmy Butler, no. Maybe Damian Lillard. But I don't. I don't think Portland would trade him. Maybe they trade McCollum instead of him. But I don't think they're open to that. Um, Lamarcus Aldridge. I'm not interested. Andre Drummond. I don't think I'm interested. Like he does not. A, he's not a fit with Giannis a, at all. Uh, Demar Derozan's not getting traded. Um, Westbrook's not getting traded. I mean, I wouldn't want Demar. I mean, Demar Derozan yeah. with Giannis wouldn't work anyway. Really, totally right? I agree. Mean, Totally. I mean, like I know there, there was some debate, like oh Middleton versus DeRozan, because I know SI is rated Middleton higher in their preseason player rankings. I mean, we can argue. I mean, DeRozan is in sort of abstract. If you were starting a team, I can understand the argument that DeRozan is just a better player, and you could build an offense around him more easily. But like for this Bucks team, with the honest, I mean, I wouldn't want DeRozan on this team to be honest. Totally like, agree. I'd, I'd much rather have Middleton. So that gets us to Russ Westbrook not getting traded. Chris Paul. Not getting traded. Uh, Paul George, maybe. Um, but I don't think the Bucks are going to have the free agent money to go after him. I don't think Milwaukee's enough of a draw. Kyle Lowry, maybe he's old enough. Um, but is he too old? He's 31 too years old. old. He's too old. Uh, Nikola Jokic, Denver's not trading him. Uh, Walker's someone I mentioned. Victor Oladipo, he's not getting traded. Um, Bradley Beal, I don't think the Wizards are going to be trading him. Uh Kevin Love maybe is an interesting one, but I don't think he's a particularly good fit with Giannis. No. Um, McCollum, maybe if, if Portland goes awry, like if that kind of gets shaken up there. Uh, Clay Thompson has said he, on the record that he will sign for less to stay with the Warriors, which I think is a smart business decision. Um, Blake Griffin, you can't no. trade for him because he's too much money. He's not a good fit with Giannis. Uh, Porzingis. Maybe there's a lottery ticket there. Um, I'm struggling to think of anyone else that I kind of view in in that two range. Um, so we kind of just ran through a bunch of them. And I don't think there's a lot out there. So, I mean, that's kind of the problem is trying to figure that out. And to me, with a number two with Giannis Dettacumbo, there is literally one skill that I circle and I don't care about anything else. Can you shoot off the dribble, period. And not twos. I don't want to see mid-range jumpers. Can you shoot threes off the dribble? That is the only skill I care about because I would like to weaponize Giannis in the pick and roll. And then if you draw people out, all of a sudden he's getting in the Draymond Green role in the Warriors team where Giannis is like the point man on a four-on-three half-court look. Yeah, you're going to win all the time in that look. So I desperately want a point guard that can shoot off the dribble from three. And I mean, Walker is the guy that really stands out to me. He's he, like I said, he's a little bit on the older side um, in, I mean, he's not going to be great defensively, but to me, that seems like the only obta- like attainable guy. 
Yeah, I think I think Walker is interesting, and again, we don't really know how willing the the uh, Hornets would be to move him. Um, it's kind of interesting thought experiment. Like, you know, we've ta- obviously heard that they'd want to get off of Nick Batum's salary, which is kind of a cap killer. Um, but like, if you're a team like the Bucks, it is kind of interesting to ask. Like, I don't know if you offer Bledsoe and Middleton for Walker and Batum. Like, is that at all interesting to them? Is that all interesting to you? Because uh, yeah. you know, again, like I mean, that that's kind of your that's that's what you're gonna roll with, basically, right? You're gonna have to pay Kemba Walker a lot of money as well. He's probably gonna want a max contract. Um, but I agree. I mean, certainly Kemba's a better fit than than Bledsoe, especially offensively. Um, you know, I think defensively, again, uh, yeah, like you said, not not so much the case. I mean, for if people are curious, um, if you look at a RPM. Um, on ESPN, there's also RPM wins, which is basically just takes uh, the RPM stat and kind of turns it into a like wins created sort of type type stat. Um, Giannis is fourth in that that by that metric. Uh, Middleton is 33rd, right behind Kyrie. Ironically, uh, Bledsoe is 58th. So kind of gives you guys like some sense of you know again when you try to think of like where guys rate out in the grand scheme of the league in terms of productivity um obviously there are lots of different numbers you could try to use to, to to figure that out but that's at least one one sort of objective way to to think about it and to sort of contextualize you know how good um how good is chris middleton like where, where does mm-hmm. where does he fit um for those wondering uh DeMar DeRozan is 30th, 6.58 wins. Chris is 33rd at 6.0 wins. So not that, <laughs> not that far behind. Uh, Kyrie at 6.16 wins, mainly because he's so bad defensively. So, um, all right, let's let's move on from that. But I, I think the bottom line, though, I mean, this is why it's hard, right? And this is why this is really a big argument why I think our, our, our view of the Bledsoe thing was like, yeah, sure, roll the dice. Because, yep. you know, you can kind of obviously sit around and and – it's always, you know, it's always easy to, to not make a move, right? Um, and you just don't know when the next best option is going to come on. And, and again, if, if Walker had been available and Walker got traded for, obviously he would have been traded for better stuff than than what the Bucks got bled so far, you know, a, a, a protected first, a second, and, a, and an expiring Greg Monroe. Um, but it would have been interesting if he had been traded to kind of do the calculus and say, well, could the Bucks have beaten that? How much more would they have had to give up for that? Um, and and again, I don't know. I mean, again, if if you're the Bucks and Kemba Walker, it does become available. And again, Jordan has acted like he's not available. The, who knows with Rich Cho being going out the window there? What what the the long term view is? Um, you know, kind of who knows? But certainly, he's he's a guy that would be better. Is he perfect? No, he's basically I think like four or five months uh, younger than Bledsoe. So again, he's I think 27 going on 28. So, um, you know, he's not 23, right? He's not going to nope. age perfectly with Giannis, but his skill set certainly offensively makes a lot of sense just because I think you can just see Kemba in a playoff series. Like if Giannis is not, is struggling, you could just see Kemba being a guy that the other team just can't really contain yep. um, because of his shooting, his ability in the pick and roll. Um and again, like with Chris, I mean, that's obviously one thing that hasn't happened in the playoffs, right? We haven't seen him be a guy that the other team can't stop. Um, Bledsoe, again, he's not he's not Kemba Walker level. Um, you know, you never kind of know what you're going to get from Bledsoe, I guess, for better or worse. Um, Joe also asked, um, also, should the Bucks offer Jabari a KCP type deal? You got and, this one. 
Yeah, and my argument is is no. So KCP got one year's eighteen one year eighteen million from the Lakers after turning down five years eighty million, I believe, from the Pistons. Um, P thought obviously he could get more. Seemed like maybe I think the thought was the Nets could offer over twenty million a year. That never materialized. He ends up kind of getting the lifeline. Um, Rob Polinka and Magic Johnson, perhaps paying it forward with uh, Clutch Sports. Uh, who represents uh, KCP, uh, also LeBron's agent, obviously, uh, with that one-year $18 million lifeline. Um, to be honest, I mean, I think that's probably like the worst-case scenario if you're the Bucks, giving Jabari a one-year kind of big contract just because um, he's probably gone the, the, the next year and he doesn't really have, you know, again, the, there's no real trade equity there. Um, and... You know, if you were just going to have him for one year, you might as well just force him to take the qualifying offer, right? Or, you know, assuming yeah. he can't get a bigger contract from someone else. Um, and that is, I think his qualifying offer is like $4 million and change. So, you know, I don't know what paying him, you know, all that extra money really kind of serves unless you think you want to see if he can get through another season and then you want to have enough goodwill with him to give him a big contract. But again, I just don't think that's probably how it would go. So, um, so again, I think unfortunately it's going to be really difficult with Jabari, I think to get a good value contract. Um, cause I think, you know, inevitably, I, I just feel inevitably it's going to be like a two plus one type deal. And if the bucks really handle this well, it'll be two plus a team option. And if they handle it poorly, it's going to be two plus a player option. Yeah. And it's probably going to be for more money than we want. Um, like if it was a two plus one at 15 million per year, I think that would be a very worthwhile gamble. Yep. Um, if it was, you know, two plus one at 18 million and it's a player option, um, <sighs> then I think, you know, I, again, I understand the fear of, well, we can't get a guy with this kind of upside through other means. So we have to roll the dice. But um, I would want to know why, you know, who was offering, you know, who was going to offer him something similar. Right. I mean, again, if you sign that contract with another team, uh, as an offer sheet. And again, they would have to offer him, I think at least three years, um, on a deal. So it's not like, uh, the bulls can offer him a one-year contract or a two-year contract. They have to offer him at least three years. Um, but again, there's, there's ways to kind of make that deal unappealing to the bucks as well, besides just making it for a ton of money. So anyway, um, Derek Ledoux on that topic writes, do you see any chance of Jabari accepting the qualifying offer and becoming an unrestricted free agent next year, which would be in 2019? Um, I don't know. What's your gut on this? Obviously, this requires us to speculate a lot, as I was just doing. Um, but again, Jabari's qualifying offer, which is sort of the minimum they have to offer him uh, in order to retain his restricted free agent rights, it's a contract he can take for one year um, at any time once the Bucks make the offer, which they'll do, you know, June 30th, basically before free agency. Uh, and it would have been around nine million if not for the fact that he is not going to play 2000 minutes this year because of his injury. So um, that number actually falls a lot because of his injury to foreign change. So it becomes a lot less appealing. Um, I don't know. Do you foresee a possibility of him actually taking that qualifying offer, turning down presumably a lot more money from the bucks, especially given that we've heard they offered three years, 54 million last fall. Yeah. I mean, I think I would want to see exactly what he looks like in the next 25 or so games, whatever is left in the season. Um, just because I don't know if he has some breakout games in him. If he does, then, uh, man, I, I would think it's pretty low um, just because either the Bucks are going to be willing to offer something 
or there'll be another team out there that will hope to uh, be able to throw in an offer sheet that will either force the Bucks to match, or they'll be able to get them. Like, I, the only, I guess the only way that he would accept the qualifying offer would be is, I guess if these 20, 28 games, whatever's left, if these games don't go well, if the rest of the season doesn't go particularly well, there's not like a couple 20-plus point games in them. If you don't see any of that, the Bucks say, okay, we're not going to offer you anything above 15, let's say, per year. And he thinks, no, I'm worth more than that. That would be where he would just accept a qualifying offer, right? Like, I, I can't imagine any other way we get there. And I don't know how likely I see us getting there. I think he does have some of those games in him. I think he does have some moments where he, he would be able to showcase his abilities and his skills. So I would say it's it's unlikely, maybe like a 10 or 15% chance. But also, we don't really know anything about what this free agency period is going to look like. Obviously, we've talked about how there's not a ton of money out there. Um, so maybe this will be a market that dries up and a market where Jabari will have to either accept that or take the qualifying offer. But I think it feels pretty unlikely. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the scenario would be that the Bucks offer is deemed insulting, right? Yep. And he's better off playing for a year on a really reduced number and then going back out and getting what he deserves or whatever the perception is as an unrestricted free agent. Um, I mean, the problem with that is that it's generally very hard. I, you know, it, like let's use the example of 18 million a year, right? If the Bucks offer him, let's assume no options, three years, 54 million. And he says, you know what? I'm insulted, right? I'm not saying Jabari's actually said, but let's say Mark Bottlestein says, we're not going to sign for that. Okay. You're going to take 4 million next year. You're going to risk that he has another terrible injury or, you know, <sighs> whatever could happen that, that would, would basically mean that he can't go out and get, um, a comparable contract. And, and again, not just 18 million a year, but if you, you know, do the math on it, right? Like if he takes 4 million next year, turns down 18 he just lost 14 million dollars right so he's gonna have to go out and get all that money back in whatever improved deal he finds the year after so you know you'd have to get then two years 25 million a season just to break even over that three years because you only took four the previous year and 25 million is basically a max contract (laughs) so um so basically the bet would be that, well, if I'm an unrestricted free agent next year, then I'm going to get a max. And uh, I just don't <sighs> know if that's, I just don't know if that there's going to be a market for that. That's and a again, gamble. That's quite a yeah, gamble. That's quite a gamble, especially given, you know, it's one thing if you're Kevin Durant or LeBron James and you've already had, you know, a hundred million dollars in career earnings and you have your, you know, massive shoe contract and, you know, you're just going to play on one plus one contracts and just, you know, take on that risk. It's another thing if you're a guy who, again, Jabari has made, you know, good money. It's not like Jabari has, you know, been playing on minimum, you know, level salaries um, these last couple of years. I mean, he's going to make almost $7 million this year. But again, I mean, you know, like you turned on $50 million. I mean, that's that's life altering. Never have to, you know, do anything ever again. All your family for the next three generations is probably taken care of if you manage it well yep. <laughs> um, versus who knows. Right. So. 
Um, so I, I, long story short, I think it's, I think it is very unlikely that he would take the qualifying offer, but again, ego has come into play here. Um, and again, you never know. I mean, if, if he is insulted by whatever the bucks offer, uh, then maybe they would want to take the qualifying offer just cause he wants to get out, you know, force his yeah. way out, not, not take a three-year deal. Um, that's, that's obviously the risk. Um, I mean, I think the upside is, well, I mean, you know, we can already kind of read in this, right? I mean, again, we talked about it. If they offered three years, 54 last fall. I mean, the financial situation has changed a little bit with the Bledsoe deal. They have less flexibility, but are they really going to offer less money now if he goes through the rest of the season? Okay. And looks more or less like you'd expect, especially given what we've seen from early, I would assume they're not going to offer less. So to be honest, I think, I mean, man, that would be really hard to turn down 54 million over three years. Um, in, in to to take four instead, right? I mean, it doesn't yeah. seem like he was so insulted by the three years fifty four last fall. So, um, so yeah, I think it'd be very unlikely. Um, but again, is is another team going to swoop in and offer him some massive deal? I'm not sure of that either, because other teams are going to see the same risks that that we do. And you know, again, the Hawks and Bulls are going to have very high draft picks. Maybe they draft players that make Jabari somewhat redundant. Um, you know, the Bulls already have obviously Larry Markinen, who they've been treating more as a four so far. Um, you know, if they draft Luka Doncic or something like that, like, oh, how does Jabari fit into that lineup? I don't know. They're, they also have Zach Levine, who's also sort of an offense first guy coming off an ACL tear that they're presumably going to hand a ton of money to. Um, you know, what kind of appetite is there? So I think it's really interesting. But I think the biggest problem, to be honest, is that Andrew Wiggins contract. You know, Andrew Wiggins, who has been yep. very disappointing this year, has gotten worse statistically by by long shot this year, um, is nowhere near a max contract player, but got that five-year, $148 million um, designated player deal last fall. And he doesn't deserve it, but every guy, Aaron Gordon's agent, Jawari's agent, everybody's <laughs> going to point to that and say, well, my guy's pff, at least as good as Andrew Wiggins. Yep. Why don't you give him that? And it's like, well, you know, if every GM walks off a cliff, are we going to do that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so that, that, that's really difficult, but I would say the odds are, are very low um, because again, the qualifying offer is nobody wins with a qualifying offer. Let me say that um, it is, it is wow. a bad scenario for everybody because the player is taking on a lot of risk and getting very, getting less money than he otherwise could get. And the team is basically, basically throwing in the towel on the player uh, and and having to acknowledge that that guy's probably going to leave for nothing, right? Which is yep. never a good scenario. And that again, but it happens very rarely. Greg Monroe might be one of the few guys who, you know, could have signed a really big contract and didn't bet on himself, and you know, it worked out. He was able to leave Detroit, which is a place that you know didn't seem to make sense for him. And obviously, we can argue whether he really, you know, got what he needed in Milwaukee, but you know, he got fifty one million dollars in that that three year contract. So um, he obviously didn't didn't sacrifice a lot. Um, next question. Um, Michael Rose asked on the Jabari topic, if we don't want to match an offer, can we do a sign and trade with Jabari this summer? Yes, you could do a Jabari sign and trade. Um, what I will say is if you think about, um, if you think about like the options of Jabari, I feel like inevitably with restricted free agents, like fans start talking on draft night about like, Oh, what if you moved Jabari for a lottery pick? Look in theory, <laughs> in theory, if there was, you know, uh, back channel stuff going on 
could you in July make a trade for a lottery pick that just happened in a sign and trade for Jabari Parker? Yes, but (laughs) (laughs) there's no way on draft night you could commit to anything because again, and again, not that tampering doesn't happen. Um, but in theory, Jabari can't negotiate a new contract until July 1st to begin with, um, with the bucks or anybody else. And so draft night in late June, um, you can't be, you know, trading a player who doesn't have a contract basically is what it comes down to. So in July, yes. Um, you could do a sign and trade. Although if Jabari signs an offer sheet at that point, you cannot sign and trade him. All you can do is either match it or not match it and lose him. So that's important. Uh, Sometimes teams will like threaten, you know, agents will threaten that they'll sign an offer sheet, um, to try to drive up the cost. And, you know, I guess in theory, maybe you could have, a sign and trade, but I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, you really don't see guy teams give up real value for sign and trades of restricted. I mean, I'm just trying to like the Joe Johnson trade when he went from Phoenix to Atlanta is probably the best example of a team getting a lot for a restricted free agent in a sign and trade. But more practically, what usually happens is the team that, you know, wants to sign the other team's guy, they just throw him a lot of money and see if the other team bites. You know, rather yep. than give up a bunch of assets. I mean, why would you want to give up a bunch of assets in order to pay Jabari Parker twenty four million dollars a year or whatever? Right. You'd much you know, if if you're willing to pay him that much. Not sure that's a prize you want to win. Yeah, that's first off, it's not something you want to win. And secondly, you don't want to give up assets for the right to do it. So yeah. um so yeah, I, I I would say a sign and trade is extremely unlikely as well, but it theoretically could happen. Um one kind of quick question, uh, Jules Esquivias, I probably just mispronounced your name, Jules. Um, he asked, do you think it's a good idea to add Thanasis and Adekumbo, the talent, to our roster next season? Will it be good for the freak psycho to have his brother with him, or will the risk of needing to cut Thanasis be too dangerous a fire to play with? Uh, I would say yes to the latter. <laughs> yeah, to add, no thank you. No thank yeah. you. That is not, yeah. you don't want to get into family politics, Like you don't. you don't want that. What was Derek Rose's brother's name? Reggie Rose? Is that it? Like you don't want a situation where brothers and families are getting involved there because I mean, everyone's a, a little bit more emotional when it comes to their family. So no, I I would say no. Um I was gonna jump back on one more Jabari question, sorry. Michael yeah. asks, if the Bucks decide one of Jabari, Chris, Bloodstone need to go this summer for cap reasons, which player contract would have the most trade value? We kind of already answered it. I think Chris would have the most uh trade value. Then uh, I guess uh, where do you think where do you think the other two is it Bloodstone and then Jabari last? Well, again, it's hard because Jabari doesn't have a contract, right? So then yeah. it has to be a sign and trade. Um, and again, Jabari's value I think is a trade asset. And the problem is, you know, he wasn't on the court for last year, so he had a contract. Which you know, again, on a rookie deal, you have optionality as the team that would trade for him that, you know, he, you can decide, do you want to max a deal, whatever your or match a con match, a uh, contract or whatever. Um, so I don't even know. I, I don't know. Like he's just a whole different type of thing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, because again, like uh, so much of it depends on, on what you trade for. I mean, in the abstract, I guess I'd say Jabari, um, but again, it's it's kind of tough to to value it. I mean, I think Bledsoe has some value. I don't think he has a lot of value, um, just because again, he you know he's a he's a he's just a point guard. 
like, you know, with Jabari or Chris, you could talk yourself into, well, maybe he's a small forward or a power forward for Jabari, or, you know, maybe he can play shooting guard or small forward for Chris. Um, Bledsoe is a point guard and there's only a, you know, a limited number of teams that, you know, would even, I think, consider looking for a point guard in his age range. Um, and so again, the market is just kind of narrow for that. Okay. Um, how high could the Bucks get in the draft if packaged with their first pick? So to be clear, the Bucks would have to write a very convoluted set of rules on that pick, right? Like I don't, I don't think it precludes them from trading any other first round picks, but it would make it so that they would have to fall within the Stepien rule and not give up consecutive first round picks. So that pick might be a pick that wouldn't convey until like 2020, 2021, somewhere in there. Like it would be very confusing. So, well, it, right. It, well, the way, the way around, like if they had tried to trade a first round pick at the trade line, it would have been difficult because of the exact reason you're describing. Um, if this summer they want to trade or, or so, say on draft night, they have a deal, right? And it's the deal is I'm making stuff up Eric Bledsoe and uh, this first round pick, right? Let's assume that this first round pick is kept by the Bucks. Um, I don't think there's anything that would prevent them from just basically working out the deal and then just saying it's not going to convey until July, basically. So the Bucks actually keep the pick, make the pick on behalf of the other team. And then once the pick is made, the whole Stepien thing no longer applies mm-hmm. to that future pick. So that would be one way to kind of get around it. Um, uh, you know, just for, if people are kind of curious about it. Um, so I think that might be the way you get around it, but certainly it was very difficult to do a deal. I think with a first round pick, uh, you know, leading up to the deadline, but I think now, you know, assuming the bucks are keeping their pick, um, heading into June, uh, they could in theory, since obviously there aren't games being played, nothing's really happening. They could work out a deal where basically the pick just gets moved after technically after the pick is made, if that makes sense. Okay. Sounds good. Um, how high I think Chris could maybe even, I don't want to say by himself, but Chris and something could probably get you, like we said before, top seven blood. So, 10 to, uh, I don't even think 10, 15 to 25. Is that, do you think that would be accurate for Bledsoe's range? I don't even well, know. Well, I mean, look at it. Jeff Teague on an expiring contract a couple of years ago got, what was it, the 14th pick or 13th yeah. pick that the Jazz got um, or Jazz gave up um, in that deal? Basically, the Jazz gave up, I think, the 13th pick for George Hill, who was an expiring, and Jeff Teague. Uh, went to Atlanta or sorry, left Atlanta and Atlanta got that pick. So basically George Hill and, and Jeff Teague essentially both were traded for each other and also for that pick sort of. Um, so I think, a, I don't think, I mean, I think Bledsoe is in that, certainly in that, in that range of, of, you know, age and, and skill level. Um, but again, it's really just about finding a team that would need him. I mean, as far as Middleton goes, I mean, I'll read off the, the top 10 here, Eric. So listen to these picks and tell me if any of these teams would actually want Chris Middleton we, you know, for that for their pick. Phoenix Suns, Atlanta Hawks. I'll add my commentary as we go. Hawks, no. Kings, no. Cavs, mm, depending on where the pick is, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um Right now, they're slated at four. I don't think they'd give up four for Chris Middleton unless you added a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Magic, five. I don't think the Magic give up that. As much as John Hammond loves um, Chris Middleton, I don't I don't think that happens. Uh, Bulls, six, no. Grizzlies, seven. Grizzlies are actually interesting because yeah. I think the Grizzlies are going to try to be good next year. Uh, that said, I think the, I think the Grizzlies want to have a... 
I think the Grizzlies want to have a young player to pair with their veteran guys. Um, it was weird to me that the Grizzlies were the team in the top 10 that were slated to pick Trey Young in this mock just because they have Mike Conley. Mike they're Conley, paying $30 yeah. million dollars a year. <laughs> so yeah. it seems like a horrible fit if you're trying to compete with that existing roster. Um, the Mavericks at eight. No. The Knicks at nine. I mean, I assume they shouldn't, but the Knicks are the Knicks, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, and then the, the 76ers at 10. Um, I mean, the 76ers certainly could use Chris Middleton. Um, they have Bob Covington, obviously, but uh, I think those guys could, could play together. Um, and then, you know, Hornets, Clippers uh, at 12, Clippers again at 13, Bulls 14. Um, I so would yeah, say, I mean, like, I'm curious where Phoenix ends up, like if they get screwed over in the lottery, but they can only get screwed over so badly, so... Yeah, I mean, at some point they probably want to stop being bad, but I don't think they're going to willingly give up another shot in the lottery to do so. Um, Memphis is interesting. Cleveland is interesting. Um, Orlando, just because of the Hammond ties, and then Knicks and Sixers are probably interesting there. But yeah, overall, not really a ton of teams that somehow found their way into the lottery despite being good or wanting to be good. Yeah, I mean, in a weird way, I think your best chance would be the Cavs. If the Cavs, if it looks like LeBron is going to return, and not, the, and I don't think LeBron's going to let them know before July first. Um, but you know, again, if the if the Cavs do, if the Cavs end up a little lower in the lottery, maybe where they can't get a top three pick, let's say with that Nets pick, so it's not like a maybe a, a super premium player that they get in the lottery or that they can get and they think LeBron's coming back and they feel like okay we got LeBron for another couple of years or something like that then I think you could see them be willing to make that move for for a guy like Middleton or even Bledsoe right because Bledsoe obviously has the clutch sports connection with LeBron and um, you know as much as George Hill I think is a good fit for them I mean, who knows right like George Hill could play I guess some yep. shooting guard he could be your bench guy I don't know I mean it's kind of hard to tell what the what the what the Cavs might do but Anyway, yeah, it, it, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's fine to say, like, in principle, like, oh, Bledsoe should get you a top 20 pick or Middleton should get you a top 10 pick. Well, someone has to give it expiring, up. Yeah, they're both expiring picks and the, or expiring player, uh, contracts. And ultimately, you have to find a team that actually it makes sense for, which often is, is the hard part. All right, um, let's, uh, let's move to the rotation questions. I think that's what we have next. Yep, yep. Um, so Travis Schlepp asked, there's a growing group of Bucks fans who are convinced that Thon Maker could be, should be playing at the four alongside a true center. Is that something the Bucks should consider? Can Thon even do that? Would that be beneficial at all for the team in its present state? No, no, <laughs> no, like, I, I couldn't be any, I mean this, I'm as adamant about this as I am about the Tony Snell somehow being Chris Middleton. Like, no. No, never like Thon Maker does not look like an NBA player right now. I understand that, but he doesn't look any more like an NBA player at the four. Like the possibility he has to be an NBA player is at the five. Like if you can get him to the point where he can hit threes consistently and he can move his feet on defense and be a plus there, like that is where his value is at the five and at the five only at the four. He gives you no value. It is not something that's interesting or new- unique. At the four, uh, league-wide, most of those guys can shoot. And a number of those guys can defend. And a number of those guys can shoot and defend. And you know what? Even some of them can play make, like the guy that's on his team, Giannis Dedekumbo. So in this, I guess in this fantasy, in this idea, 
I'm playing John Henson, Thon Maker, and Giannis Adetokounmpo at one time. That's that's the goal. That's what I'm supposed to be interested in. That sounds like a a torture. That sounds like torture to me. I don't. Why do I? Why do I want both those guys on the floor with Giannis? Like it just doesn't. No, it doesn't make any sense to me. Thon may never have value as an NBA player. If he is to have value as an NBA player, it is at the five and only at the five. Yeah, and obviously I would agree. I, I mean, this is the thing. Like I think people often underrate the importance of, especially maybe not so much at the five, but as soon as you even at the four, as you mentioned, if you can't consistently shoot dribble or pass you're going to sink lineups basically offensively like if your four guy if your four man can't do at least like one of those things really well um you you make like a lot harder on yourself right i mean we see lots of teams with more talented offensive four men than thon and because like they don't have consistent range or you know they're they're they can't pass or whatever it, it becomes harder and and i think just as you're saying in the modern nba you know, Thon doesn't give you. I mean, Thon not being dominated inside by stronger defend by stronger you know fives doesn't mean that he's actually adding any value as a four. I guess you know, like yeah, like I don't think he's uniquely suited to defending NBA fours either. Um, and so if he's not really uniquely, you know, doesn't really necessarily give you any clear benefit as a defender at the four. Um, because again, like then he's going to have to be running around on the perimeter, moving his feet on the perimeter, um, which is a question for him at the five too. Um, it, it's tough because it's just a clear negative on the offensive end. And as you said, I mean, right now the Bucks have two power forwards, Giannis and Jabari, who can play. You know, both of them I think can play both three, four, and obviously Giannis can play five as well. Um, so I think unless unless in your lineup is is you're saying Giannis is the five <laughs> and and Thon is the four, then maybe you can you can argue to me that sure. that making Thon a four, but that's pretty semantic. Um, and yeah, and to be honest, I haven't really heard anybody. I don't know. Certainly from from my mentions, I'm not really seeing people talk about yeah Thon at the four. I've seen um, it, but yeah, not as often as I've seen Snell can be Middleton, but I've seen yeah. move Thon to the four and no. Not yeah, and I think, years. and again, I I understand. Like, this is how this starts, right? People say, "Well, Thon is getting beat up by big guys, so let's play him somewhere where he won't get beat up as badly." It's like, well, okay, but then you're like really playing whack a mole, right? And you're creating a whole bunch of other problems. I think mainly offensively. So yeah, I I would agree. I, I think we're pretty firm on this. If Thon is going to hack it in the NBA as a rotation player, it's got to be at the five. Um, and if it's as a four, Again, he might not be bad defensively at the four, but offensively, it's just not going to. It's ugh, like Thon trying to like, don't, ugh, no. Don't even say All right. Um, Will asks, uh, what are you looking to find out in the Bucks' upcoming stretch against mostly playoff teams in terms of how the Bucks match up in the playoffs? For example, how Giannis deals with teams with strong wing defenders like the Heat with James Johnson. I feel like Will has been listening to us because I think that was one thing we highlighted. Uh, you highlighted um maybe a week ago or whenever the last time we saw the Bucks struggle with the heat and James Johnson, you know, this idea of, you know, how, how, what do we see from Giannis and wouldn't it be interesting if they, we saw multiple games against the heat just to kind of get a chance to kind of get some reps. Um, I don't know. Is there something that or something else that you're looking for here as we, as we look ahead to this next kind of difficult stretch of games? Um, I think to me, the thing I'm interested in is the defense. Um, they had a, a pretty remarkable stretch of good luck uh, 
a pretty strong stretch of not playing particularly good basketball teams. And I'm curious to see kind of kind of what happens. Um, they have a number of teams that in the past have given them trouble, have made them look silly with the way that they move the ball. Um, when you're thinking about the Raptors, the Wizards, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Sixers, the Rockets, all of those teams have made the Bucks look silly in the past. So uh, for me, I guess I'm kind of circling the defense. I I don't necessarily know that I worry about Giannis and how he'll, he'll handle playoff defenses because, well, I don't think he really struggles all that often. Um, certainly against the Heat he does, but there's not many teams out there that can do what the Heat do, where they have a really strong wing defender and multiple wing defenders that they can throw at them and be physical with them, and then uh, on the backside have a guy like Hassan Whiteside. Like that's just not. There's just not a lot of teams like that. So um, I don't know if I'm as interested in that. I think to me it's the defense and what the defense looks like because uh, they've put up some some pretty small numbers. They've been able to hold teams under a hundred uh, quite a bit. Of, in the last uh, couple of weeks here after Joe Prunty took over. And um, again, that may speak more to who they're playing, but they were able to do it. Um, and I'm just curious to see kind of, kind of what it looks like because we've seen them, we've seen them get less aggressive uh, with pick and roll coverages. We've still seen them be somewhat aggressive with the overhelp, helping on doubles or helping on post players, doubling on post players, uh, digging in on those situations. So we've seen some of those other bad habits still exist. And I'm curious if these better teams will exploit them to a greater extent than uh, the teams that they saw on the schedule post kid firing and pre all-star break. I would say, um, I will be looking most closely at probably the guys that, you know, they, this isn't really that insightful, maybe, but the two guys I always focus most on, which which is Giannis and, and now Jabari. Um, Jabari, obviously, for the reasons that we've been discussing here about how this massive decision is coming this summer around what they do with him. Um, obviously, hoping that he continues to look more comfortable. Um, any signs of progression from an embryonic state defensively would be nice. Uh, but more just looking kind of to see him getting more of that confidence physically um, and getting his rhythm back and hopefully having that be a weapon against good teams. You know, the one team he really didn't provide any value against was Miami as well. Um, and obviously against some of these lesser teams that, that maybe didn't have as much to, to match up with, um, he tended to, to actually get buckets. Um, so hopefully yep. we see some more of that against some of these good teams as well. Cause you know, a team like the Raptors, what's, what's the huge difference of the Raptors this year? It's their bench, right? It's their yeah. depth. Um, they just have all these young guys who've been really nice pieces for them. And, and obviously, if Jabari can, you know, give you a more of a fighting chance with your second units um, against a team like the Raptors, that's important. Um, and as far as Giannis goes, you know, we mentioned the other day just the, you know, concerns around Giannis's knee. And he, you know, I think we'll talk about that the rest of this week here as well. Sort of some of the comments he made about, um, you know, his knee and, and needing kind of next summer, looking forward to next summer to getting a chance to kind of really rest it and rehab it. Um, but, you know, again, the rest of this year, it's probably going to be a bit of a grind at times. And obviously you hope that this last week, not having any real NBA games, just having the all-star game. Um, you hope that hopefully Giannis can kind of come out of this break um, looking a bit 
you know, revitalized, refreshed, um, because, you know, as we mentioned, January, or sorry, February was not really a good month statistically for him by his high standards or hasn't been. Um, and obviously he ended it with a bang there right before the all-star break against the Nuggets. And hopefully we see more of that Giannis rather than the guy that, you know, again, kind of was settling for a lot of jump shots and, um, looking a little bit more limited. I mean, again, it's all relative, yeah. <laughs> but, um, not maybe being the same type of attacking Giannis that we saw, um, you know, in all the, the previous months. So again, if Giannis is back to sort of his best looking like obviously what he know what we know of peak Giannis uh, and Jabari continues to make strides. I don't know. I'm not as worried about that. Those stretch that stretch of games, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. even if they don't have a great record in that, I think, you know, sort of the macro indicators for me are, you know, what is Giannis doing and what is Jabari doing? Cause those are kind of the big things. All right, that is going to be it for today. We do still have a number of questions left. You guys really flooded us with questions. We always do appreciate that. Um, So we will get to all of those tomorrow. Uh, We'll wrap up the mailbag then. This has been part two of our mailbag. Part three comes tomorrow, so be sure to listen for that. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.